Hey, welcome to Trains Live, the Trains.com podcast. Do you like what you hear? Listen, check out this episode in video with a Trains.com unlimited membership. Click the link in the episode notes and watch it today. Oh, wait a minute, not a member? Try our 30-day free trial of Trains.com, the ultimate online portal for anyone who loves trains of any size from any era. Trains.com, it's your home for the most comprehensive railroading news and curated video series, articles, photos, and so much more, all about trains. So like Jim Wren said, if you're in preservation or a railroad museum, you got to have a plan. And we are headed to a location today that definitely has a plan. We're going down to Texas. Well, our story actually starts in Dallas, Texas, back in 1962, when a museum was formed and kind of tucked into a corner of the Dallas fairgrounds. A little later on, they moved out to Frisco, Texas. And this is where the plan begins to take shape and come into reality. And this is the point where I need to bring in our guest for today. With us is Bob LaPrell, who is president and CEO of the Museum of the American Railroad. Bob, welcome to Trains Live. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> All right. So uh, your museum started, like I said, back in 62, was tucked into a little corner there in the fairgrounds, and you had a nice collection. You have a nice collection, um, but yeah, things could have been better. And then in the early 2010s, you got an invitation to head up to Frisco, Texas. But before you went, you guys put together a plan as to the museum's vision and where you wanted to go. So take it from there and tell us about this plan. Okay, sure. Well, we, we considered ourselves kind of a sleeping giant. Um, we knew that we had a, a stellar collection and the museum really began, as you said, about 1962, 63. And back then there was a window to collect and preserve a lot of steam era rolling stock that was literally on its way to the scrap yards. And our founders, Everett DeGallier Jr. and Joseph Rucker, really seized the opportunity to pull steam locomotives and some of the you know heavyweight Pullman cars out of the scrap lines, or they were right out of retirement and went straight into our museum, you know, not going through a third party. They literally came out of service right into our museum. So we, there was a sweet spot there where we were able to put together a fantastic collection. And as you say, it was kind of in a sleepy little corner of the fairgrounds for many years. It was well attended during the state fair, but there was so much more potential for that collection. And as it got older and more unique and, and had more of a historic significance, we knew that we had to do something to give it a fitting presentation, even if that meant moving from our present location at Fair Park. So um, we created a, docu a document called Visions. It was done in-house by the staff and it, it, it kind of was a segue into a much more formal plan, a strategic plan. Uh, we put out a request for proposals uh, and hired a company out of Los Angeles, Goodwin Associates, to do a strategic plan. 
they wrote a fantastic executive summary that backed up the 42-page plan. And we put it online, and lo and behold, we were cold called by the city of Frisco. And they said, <laughs> hey, you know, we're growing by leaps and bounds here. Uh, you know, they, they were about 35, 40 miles up the road from Dallas. And they said, we really want to uh, talk to you all about establishing your museum up here because our heritage is the Frisco Railroad. That's how the town started. That's where yeah. we get our name. It was, it, it made perfect sense. And as we talked to them, we just started ticking off all those things in our strategic plan that were essential if we were to relocate. And it, it was a perfect fit. I don't know how else to say it. And uh, <laughs> by 2010, early 2011, we had inked the deal and we were on our way. And I remember going back to Fair Park after a meeting up in Frisco and looking around going, holy smokes, how are we gonna move all this stuff? <laughs> this isn't, this isn't uh, you know, not, you don't just call up the moving company and go, oh, hey, I gotta, gotta move a business. Oh, by the way, um, you know, I've got several million pounds of, of material here. Right, um, right. <laughs> Okay, quit. Let, let's let's step in here before we before we continue on the plan. The collection, um, you do have some incredible pieces. There is um, a Union Pacific uh, Centennial Series uh, double diesel um, Pullmans, as you mentioned. Uh, there is a, a Santa Fe uh, motor car in the in the war bonnet scheme, um, and of course. Uh, the only big boy that I have to see yet, uh, okay. <laughs> 4018. So now you know I got a reason to come down and see you just besides seeing the museum. You got a heck of a collection that you had to move. We definitely did. Uh, and, you know, a lot of them were, were superlatives in the sense that they were the largest ever built, like the Centennial and the Big Boy. Um, we had a Russian decapod, which those okay. locomotives are very difficult to put on main lines <laughs> because of those, yeah. you know, the driving wheels that hang over sure. the rails. And we had arguably one of the finest collections of heavyweight Pullman cars in North America, but they had been out of service for, you know, they, they were in a museum setting at that point longer they had, than they had been in service. Oh, uh, so, you know, they were they were out of they were non-compliant, obviously, a lot of attention just to get them uh, uh, roadworthy, not to mention the brakes. But, yeah, th there are so many superlatives <laughs> in that collection. Um, you know, I've been doing this for over 30 years and I'm honored and I, I th there's there's a sense of duty that I feel every day sure. to, to provide for the stewardship of this collection and to move it. Uh, was was just going to be a Herculean task, and I've got some great stories. I just don't know how in depth you want to go into that. <laughs> I, I think you know. I think that's going to be a. We'll have to do a whole whole episode sometime on moving big boys and and other things around around big equipment. But I, I can remember some of the pictures, um, you know, especially when the big boy was moved, and it was uh, it was slow, and you know, a lot of sightseers, and um, you know. I think you and I share a feeling, you know, I used to work in a museum where we had a big boy up and up at the National Art Museum in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, 4017. And, you know, to walk by that piece every day and go, you know what, I'm, I'm part of the group that is responsible for this piece. Um, yeah, there's there's a there's a, a it tugs at you. There's a there's a feeling there, you know, so. it does. It definitely does. And. 
you know, in, in order to move that locomotive and all 42 pieces in the collection, which is what we had at that time, plus two historic structures, you know, it, it took some critical components to make it work. Obviously, the railroads were a huge player in this. Um, I can't say enough nice things about BNSF and their willingness to take on this project and make it happen. Uh, when we got very serious about uh, signing the development agreement and lease with the city of Frisco, the, the next call I made was literally to Matt Rose's office at BNSF over in Fort Worth. And uh, uh, they assigned the project to Rich Wessler, who is such a fantastic guy. He's retired just recently, but he was our go-to guy at BNSF. I had great volunteers. Um, you know, the city of Frisco obviously was was making this happen through their their um, uh, agreement that we had to move up there. And they also provided a million dollars uh, in seed money to start building basic infrastructure. Uh, we used Scott Lindsay uh, to help us prep the big boy, uh, actually all the steam locomotives, also the Frisco 4501. Uh, he did a fantastic job in working with our volunteers. Um, so it, it, it was it was a it was an effort on many people's part to make this happen. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I I love about railroad preservation um, is some of the the odd little things that that we get into sometimes. And I'm just you, you said okay. Second call was to or first call after you signed the agreement was to to Matt Rose, then uh, you know chairman of of BNSF Railway. I'm just I'm just thinking about that call going. You know, Hi, Matt. This is Bob. Um, I need help moving a, a railroad museum. What can you do for me? <laughs> those those little those little things like that just are, are so interesting. I think One there was the, a lot of internal discussions before they got back to me. I'm sure. <laughs> You know, one of the things that impressed me about this is that, and when you look at the website for the Museum of the American Railroad today, the plan that you've spoken of, your visions, um, the plan is there. And since the time that you have moved, your organization under your direction has stuck with that plan and you are working, I mean, tirelessly to fulfill the thing. What what has it what has it taken to have that kind of fortitude to stick with something well over a, a you know a decade or more in the works here? Yeah, it was it was a massive um, and very ambitious plan uh, to do this. And uh, gosh, and looking back, I mean, it's it's been several years. You know, strategic plans. I, I tell everybody who's considering doing one, whether it's in the railroad field or anywhere else, is that the process is as important as the end product. And that means that everyone has to participate. You've got to have full buy-in on something like that. So you can have a great plan sitting there, but if you don't have full buy-in and you don't have everyone as a stakeholder, it's not going to happen. And I sure. think we were fortunate in that we, we involved our funders, we involved uh, public officials in the planning process, so everyone had a say, everyone had a stake in it. I think that that, as much as anything, is is one of the most important aspects of it. And then, you know, for for Frisco to to read the executive summary online and get excited about it and make that call, I mean, that was huge. Sure. And you know, we can we can sit here and say, oh, you know, it's all because we were so great and had such a great plan. Well, yeah, but they also had vision as well. They also mm -hmm. saw the potential in it and still do. They're still a huge partner. 
And we've just remained remarkably focused, I think, because everyone has believed in the plan. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. And um, I'm proud of our folks, but we we could not do this without funders and stakeholders in the city and the railroad industry itself who has supported this project. Now, let's let's talk about the plan. When you when you get to well, and actually let me back up. The plan itself has a number of facets to it, um, and there's a couple of those I want to hit a little later on, but the, the physical plan right now, you go to Frisco, you go to the Frisco Public Library, go around the building, and there is your site, uh, I believe it's about 12 acres, and the plan called ultimately for tracks arrayed to present the uh, rolling stock um, in an interpretive manner that would uh, would represent its story or its technology. Um, you have talked about a shop facility. Um, there is plans for a open air pavilion to cover uh, the collection. In fact, uh, if I got the number right, 120,000 square foot open air pavilion um, and then that and then that would be coupled with basically a, a kind of a passenger station um, head house kind of building um, that would be an event space archives um, office space um, theater gift shop all the you know the essential parts of uh, of the museum and right now you've got the track laid um, you've been laying concrete to put in the walkways between the paths and you're about to embark on or have embarked on fundraising to build that open air pavilion. Um, and in fact, in the September issue of, of Trains Magazine, and if we can get Skycam dialed in here, um, we have in our preservation section uh, a, a piece about the, the progress and the next phases. And you had um, railroad artist John Winfield um, do a rendering of what that uh, train pavilion would look like. And I'll tell you what, this, <laughs> this is something I want to come see. So how is progress going? Um, you know, are the cranes and the steel getting there tomorrow for the pavilion? Um, you know, when, when should we be ordering the cake for the ribbon cutting? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I live long enough to see it all. I think I will. <laughs> uh, and, and before I answer your question, thank mm -hmm. you for reading the plan. You've obviously read it. <laughs> um, so, so here's where we are. You know, we started out literally in, in pasture land. You know, this was a farm for many, many years. So it Bob, was unimproved Bob, property. Don't, Bob, don't tell me you didn't have to. You didn't have to herd the Longhorns off of this before you guys moved in. Tell me you didn't have to Almost. do that. <laughs> Almost. Almost. Uh, the property was actually is actually owned by the city of Frisco with their community development corporation, and they bought the property uh, from another company, another industrial company that had 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 some uh, construction there, but not on our site. Our site was unimproved. So anyway, you know, here we come along and we've got to build all this railway infrastructure before we can really see anything come out of the ground. Um, the, the biggest task was figuring out how to connect with BNSF's Medill subdivision, which runs right along the east border of our property. That really makes up the eastern border of our property. Um, once we figured that out, that kind of dictated how the rest of the track geometry, how the, how the track layout was going to be constructed. Um, so we've spent the last 
eight, almost 10 years now, just building the basic infrastructure. That's putting in storm drainage. Um, oh, geez. That's, you know, so the site drains correctly, um, goes into a creek that's off our property to the south of us. Then we had to go in and, you know, basically lay track. We've put down 12,000 feet of track on on close to 15 acres, if you include our lead track and tail mm -hmm. track that's also under lease. That's not sexy, but you've got to do it. You know, before you do anything else, you've got to put in your basic infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing we had to do, the first phase of construction was to get enough track down to accommodate everything that was at Fair Park in Dallas. Because we had no place to put it. We just had a you know big chunk of land. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was job one, was just to get enough track down to get everything out of Dallas. And we've built it in phases. You know, I like to say it's like eating an elephant. You know, you just have to do it a little at a time. We're a nonprofit. We're not getting, you know, big state or federal dollars to build this museum. So it's challenging. So we've phased it. Um, we've had to break it down into sub phases of those phases simply because of funding. But the good news is, is we have probably in the next two weeks, we will have completed all of these phases of construction to get us to the point of launching the building campaign right. and actually seeing something come out of the ground. We're, we're pouring concrete right now. We've got one more pour coming up probably in two weeks. That finishes out a $1.4 million capital improvement project that was all funded by you know local funders along with the city of Frisco. They matched dollar for dollar a lot of that funding. Um, and then we'll launch the campaign to actually build the pavilion. We call it a train shed. But we well, we wanted to give it a nicer name, uh, so we call it the exhibits pavilion. Uh, it sounds a little nicer. And uh, yeah, it's 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 about 120,000 square feet undercover. It will span tracks three through eight, and it will cover the entire rolling stock collection. Beautiful. And, and our goal is to get everything undercover. And, and keep it, you know, from continuing to deteriorate from the elements, uh, you know, and also create a visitor-friendly experience for people that's out of that hot Texas sun and protects everything <laughs> from, the weather, from the wind and the rain. So we are we are very close to launching that campaign probably later this fall. And I just got the number back on the train shed. We've had to update the estimates over the years mm -hmm. because obviously steel has skyrocketed sure. and so has labor. Um, but we're getting there. We're, we're really at, a, at a, an exciting juncture in this project right now to be finishing one aspect and going to another entirely different, more exciting part of the construction. You know, I think that I think there's two things to, to look at here, you know, for for folks that are going to want to come and visit the Museum of the American Railroad. Um, the efforts that are being put in to make this a outstanding experience uh, and to preserve this equipment and and tell the story not for you know not just for today or for when the building is done but for generations to come that that effort has to be appreciated and the other part of it is is that you know for folks who are in the the preservation world um, you know and this and it can be it can be a small depot, it can be something that's non-railroad related, but what you folks are doing as far as having a plan and sticking to it and getting that, that community involvement, that grassroots support, and where the community can see the value that this organization brings into the community, it is, it's just, it's paramount because in theory, 
If the, th you know, and, and you know this as well as I do. In theory, then, if everything else falls into place according to plan, the outcome is going to be just incredible. You know, just just fantastic, and, and you guys have to, you, you get you get big kudos for that. You you absolutely have to. Well, so. thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And and you know, you do have to stay remarkably focused. This is a massive project, and uh, you know, what we try to do is is you know, I go back to that term stakeholder. When someone walks into our museum as a visitor, we try to make stakeholders out of them. And if all that does is maybe generate a repeat visit, great, you've done your sure. part, okay? Mm -hmm. um, if someone walks into your museum who has capacity to help, that might translate into a $700,000 challenge grant, which we got, you know? And, 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 and that's how it works, is you, you treat everyone the same that walks in your door, you try to, to share your love of this and your passion for this and give them an appreciation for it. You can't do it in a vacuum. You've got to have everybody's input. And the thing we want to do is, is not just save these trains for posterity, but we want to tell the stories. It, it's storytelling. Let's, you know, let, let's yeah. <laughs> make sure everybody understands that it is storytelling. And without those stories, it's just nuts and bolts. So you try not to do this in a vacuum. You try to, to engage everyone in, 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 you know, so important to us and then the railway preservation field is to engage the new, the next generation. If we don't do that, we, you know, we, no one is going to take this and run with it and, and keep it going. We've got to do that. I started Absolutely. out when I was 28 years old doing this, <laughs> 65 now, you know, I can kind of see, I can kind of see the end of it. So I want to make sure that we yeah. hand it off, you know, to the next generation. And just real quick, getting back to mm -hmm. kind of the, the, the track diagram and the main building and what we essentially decided to do and it kind of came out of the strategic plan was to build a railway terminal um, yes. as far as you know how it's how it's structured and what we want to do is put the, the, the trains particularly the Pullman cars the passenger equipment lightweight and heavyweight into the context of a large railway station so when you walk through sure the museum doors and you walk out into the concourse and out onto the platforms down those tracks, you are immersed in what people were immersed in back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, sure. 50s, up into Amtrak. Um, the excitement and the anticipation of getting on a train and going somewhere else, somewhere different, somewhere you've never been before. That, that anticipation and that excitement of traveling by train. Thank we you. want to create that, immerse our visitors in that. And if we do that and we raise their curiosity and get them to ask questions and they, they, they come away from there having learned something, whether they were intended to or not, then I think we've, we've accomplished. That is, that is, it's perfect. Let, let the imagination soar and let's see where we go with it. That is tremendous. Okay. It's kind of like impressionistic art is that it's not detailed. <laughs> You let the viewer fill in the details, okay? Yep. That's what we try to do. Okay, so now, in the imagination department, um, part of the plan, and I think you also mentioned this to me when we talked for a little bit before we, we had the article here in trains, um, tracks one and two are going to be uh, reserved for that Union Pacific uh, Centennial, um, and then also the big boy will be in uh, on one of those two tracks. 
Those will be to one side of the train uh, exhibit pavilion. Um, they are going to be enclosed, uh, climate controlled, and I believe you also have, um, for lack of a, a better term, some, some theatrics, some special effects uh, planned around this. Anything that you can, can let out of the bag at this point? <laughs> sure, it's, it's all it's all in the plan. It's online. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, we clearly we recognize the superlatives in the collection. Really, is the the, the forty eight and then the sixty nine thirteen mm -hmm. centennial. So we we wanted to put them side by side. Um, you know, they never ran together, obviously, but they kind of filled the same need for Union Pacific. Yeah. You know, in different different decades. We wanted to put them side by side and be able to compare and contrast them, obviously, but also just to give people a feeling of what it was like to, to stand next to these monstrous locomotives. I mean, you know, arguably the largest of their kind, both of them. Um, so in building track one and two, tracks one and two, uh, we decided that they will actually be inside a wing of our main building, climate controlled. All the other collection is outside under the train shed but not climate controlled. These will be inside, we will create dioramas around them, sight, sound, smells, everything that goes <laughs> along with it. Um, and, you know, the aviation museums do that really well. Yes. Um, yes. Some railroad museums do that really well, obviously. Um, and that's what we want to create with these two locomotives. And the tracks, had, we just completed the tracks, we just poured the platform in between the two tracks. We're gonna pour sidewalks to them in, in a couple of weeks. And so we're well on our way, but they will be inside the building once it's constructed. Beautiful, beautiful. One other point I want to touch on, which we have kind of danced around here. One of Jim Wren's codicils on his preservation plan was um, owning your community and also being part of your community. And something that uh, struck me and also impressed me, uh, being a former museum education director, uh, the work that you folks have done with um, the Frisco Independent School District. And it's, it's everything from, from you know, a plethora of different subject matter uh, to you know, a wide range of grades up to uh, developing special programming um, for their high school level African-American studies course. Obviously, you're telling the, the Pullman story and the minority railroad workers story and, you know, minority travel on trains. Owning that community and the way you folks, again, have approached that, uh, just an incredible thing to do. And I, I, to me, um, I think it is something that is, is key to the success that you're having. Yeah, it's absolutely essential from several standpoints. One is just being a part of the community and delivering a product to the community and having value. The other is, um, you know, almost for selfish reasons, when we go to funders, we want to be able to say, hey, we're a big part of the educational component here. Um, and we think you should fund this and continue to help us build out the facilities and provide programming funds to do this. And they have stepped up to support that. And, and you know, so it really is from an operational standpoint and, and continuing to fund this museum, continue construction. Um, one of the, you know, I'd say that, the, you know, the first call we made was to Matt Rose at BNSF. One of the, se the second call was probably to Dr. Reedy, who was the superintendent of the Frisco schools at the time. And we said, hey, we're coming to your community. We've got a great story to tell. Railroad touched everybody's lives. You can't separate the railroad from the history of the United States. And we're here to do that. 
um, how can we do it? And again, we didn't want to do it in a vacuum. We didn't want to make all this up. So we sat down with school administrators, with social studies planners, with teachers. We do this every year. We sit down with the teachers and update the program. We have to follow state standards, curriculum standards called the TEKS. That's Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. You know, so we, we can't just make up these stories or, or, or decide what we want to tell. It has to coincide with what the state has for the requirements for each grade. Sure. And we've been very fortunate to have buy-in from the district. And right now we see every third grader, every seventh grader, and a lot of high school kids <laughs> from, the SI, from the FISD and surrounding districts. But to give you an idea about how big the Frisco School District is, they have 43 elementary schools, 12 middle schools, and no, no, I'm sorry, 17 middle schools and 12 high schools. 68,000 kids are enrolled wow. in that. So it's been <laughs> tremendous. And what a great partnership it's been. Um, wow. Again, I just can't say enough nice things about them. And we have a meeting here in a couple of weeks to, to develop further our seventh grade program. And wow. then when school starts in a couple of weeks, we'll get right back into it. It's, it's actually been a nice break because it's a lot of work. <laughs> bring bring in six there. Well, a portion of 68,000 students. Yeah, that, uh, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. We are talking with Bob LaPrell, President and CEO of the Museum of the American Railroad in Frisco, Texas, um, historictrains.org, historictrains.org, um, their website. Um, dial in, you will see the plans that we've been talking about today. Take a look, folks. The, the vision that this museum is presenting is just phenomenal it just an it just an incredible vision and let me tell you what i got a big boy i gotta see i gotta get down 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 texas way but trust me i'm not doing it when it's 102 degrees um listen bob before we go let me i gotta duck over to the bookcase for just a moment um and then we'll wrap things up we get uh, we got one book on the bookcase here today um it is Trains Tourist Guidebook. Um, it is a compilation. It is a guide to well over 530 railroad-related sites um, in the United States and Canada, including the Museum of the American Railroad there in Frisco, Texas. Look, before you go wandering out, you got to pick up a copy of this book, KambachHobbyStore.com. KambachHobbyStore.com, that's where you get it. Uh, check your museum, your railroad museum gift shop near you. Um, they will have the book, keep it in the car, use it to plan your trips. Yeah, this one will guide you down to Frisco, Texas and the Museum of the American Railroad. Tourist Trains Guidebook, edition nine is out at the moment. Hey, believe it or not, we've already started working on edition 10, which is gonna be bigger and better. Get this one at KalmbachHobbyStore.com. Um, Bob LaPrell, President CEO of the Museum of the American Railroad down there in Frisco, Texas. Hey, um, quick before we, we go, I got this note scrawled across the bottom of my sheet here. Um, make sure to ask Bob about the Alco PA. Yes. <laughs> how, how is that? You have, you have one of two Alco PAs. Um, how, restoration, how's it going? Um, what, what can folks do to help? Um, what's the status of the project? It's coming along well. Uh, as most people know, it was of the two that were repatriated uh, back to the United States. It was the roughest one. It, you know, they had both been involved in a derailment 
number 59, which is the, the Santa Fe number, the unit that we have, had literally rolled over in a ditch. So it, it oh. came to us pretty rough. But it, we're making good progress on it. We've replaced all of the pilot on it. We're in the process of replacing uh, the side sheet on the cab, on the nose. Uh, we just put a new roof panel on it. Uh, interestingly, the FA roofs, cab roofs, will fit a PA. That's about the only part of the car body that will that is interchangeable. Um, but we had serious roof damage on this one, so we literally are grafting a new roof onto it or a replacement roof onto it from an FA um, that was generously donated to us. And uh, we should have all the cab repairs done by the end of the year. We're, we're rolling some new sheet for the nose and uh, we're having to realign the door frames. And then we'll work from sort of the rear cab doors, the side cab doors, we'll start working our way back and replacing truss or straightening truss. You know, those locomotives, just like EMD cab units are built, it's like a bridge, you know, yeah. it's, it's, oh, it's yeah. got truss work. So we've got to realign or replace all the truss work and then start putting the actual side panels on. It's a slow process. I tell everyone it's like pulling a B-24 out of the ocean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to reconstruct it. But we are making good progress good. on it. It's, it's, it's a, a, it'll be a wonderful piece in the collection. Beautiful, fantastic. Um, and of course, if folks want to help out either volunteering or make contributions, uh, visit that historictrains.org or you look you guys up in the Tourist Trains Guidebook, give you a call. Yes, they can donate to the PA project specifically. If they go online, there's a whole page on the PA. It provides updates. Uh, we take uh, contributions in general uh, for, for construction. Um, and we would love to have more participation. We have a wonderful volunteer program, uh, you know, to bring in more people. You know, a lot of the museums, not just railroad museums, uh, have suffered from building their volunteer ranks back up since COVID. Yes. You know, we, we've had the same challenges, so we're always looking for help. Um, I have a fantastic paid staff, but we can't do it all. So we'd love to have more <laughs> participation. All right. Bob, thanks for your time today. Uh, Bob LaPrell, President and CEO of the Museum of the American Railroad down there in Frisco, Texas. Look, folks, if you haven't been there yet, get, get down there. They got some incredible things going on. Uh, Bob, stick around for a minute, if you would. Listen, folks, KalmbachHobbyStore.com. It's the place where you get all of your latest Kambach videos, your, your, hey, your great Kambach puzzles, the trains puzzles, the ones that I can't figure out how to put together, um, hobby supplies, books, all kinds of good stuff. KambachHobbyStore.com. Listen, Trains.com. Trains.com. You got to check that out. New content going on to our website every day from all of our publications plus video. Great stuff there. And of course, you know what? Until we meet here again on Trains Live, I really want to see you behind the pages of Trains Magazine. Do you like what you hear? Listen, check out this episode in video with a Trains.com Unlimited membership. Click the link in the episode notes and watch it today. Oh, wait a minute, not a member? Try our 30-day free trial of Trains.com, the ultimate online portal for anyone who loves trains of any size from any era. Trains.com, it's your home for the most comprehensive railroading news and curated video series, articles, photos, and so much more all about trains.